The Football Show on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports I'm prepared to end it if I can well, do, it then. do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Well we got our finale, that's for sure From a 14 point gap Somewhere about halfway in this Premier League season we got our finale. Manchester City champions for a fourth time in five years. Liverpool playing uh, the best football and producing the highest tallies of any second place team in Premier League history as we hit the 30 year anniversary. Pat Nevin joins us on the line. Good evening. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, I've been a bit busy. My, my fault, mostly. has <laughs> to be said. Um, we, we, we keep asking you on. <laughs> I know. Uh, to be honest, my excuse uh, the last week has been mad. Uh, so I was at the FA Cup final, uh, and then I had to get over to Seville to do the Europa League final. Then back uh, doing the Scottish Cup final after that. Um, before that, would had been the Celtic Rangers. It meant it was just a mad, mad period. And I, I didn't know where I was half the time. But isn't it great at the end of the season when you get this madness? And it is madness just now, and it's been brilliant fun. I heard Jim White say two things about the Seville final. One, the heat was incredible. And then two, did they run out of water at the stadium? Uh, they ran out of water for the Rangers fans. I know that. I talked yeah. to quite a lot of the Rangers fans on the way back. And uh, the, the, the water was turned off. They were in there hours early. Um, they weren't treated particularly well. Um, but you have to say, the Rangers fans behaved impeccably. Um, and I've got a lot of Celtic fans. Well, if you see what you see, and I was there for four days and uh, not, didn't see one negative thing being done by Rangers fans. And I expected mayhem, I'll be honest with you. Um, I talked to many ex-Rangers players and the, the only word that they all said beforehand was carnage. That's what they expected. But they behaved really well in, in general terms in the, the vast majority. I mean, they had a bit of singing here and there, but hey, um, drives us nuts, but... The, the worst of what he expected violence wise nothing happened at all so they, they did well and even under duress after having played you know 120 minutes losing in penalties um, the madness it was good. maybe maybe they were just too dehydrated <laughs> maybe that was yeah. but it was uh, it was an extraordinary uh, thing to see because it, I, I'm not saying they were the two best teams I've ever seen it certainly wasn't the best game of football that I've ever seen technique wise but two teams that really put the effort in and it was uh it was a hard one for those Rangers fans to take. So, so uh, I think they were quite happy. Three days later, they went back and uh, won the Scottish Cup. And I thought they'd be out of it. Now, the reason for saying all this is because somebody said to me the other day, do you think Liverpool will be able to recover in time? And I'm thinking, if Rangers could do it in like three days and get back over to Scotland after what they'd been through and then be the stronger team, um, yeah, Liverpool can get themselves together after what happened to them. Yeah. Where were you yesterday? So yesterday, I, I, the unthinkable thing, I sat and watched it on the telly with oh, everybody nice, else, and it nice, was brilliant. Nice. I don't get the chance to do these often. In most seasons, I've, I've not got that. But in reality, if you're not at the City game and not at a Liverpool game, you want to be sitting in front of that telly, watching everything coming in. And it was about seven of us all together. And honestly, you, you'd even, a couple of people weren't even football fans. The, the gasps and the amazement when that mad five minutes happened um, and it just shows you how 
bizarrely wonderful sport is. Uh, there wasn't a Man City fan there, but they were all jumping up and down as if they'd be Man City fans forever. And I think everybody, unless you were a Liverpool fan, obviously, um, and it is one of those things. We, every year, you kind of hope you're going to get it right to the wire. And although the Aguero one, we go back to the Arsenal-Liverpool one a few years back, okay, okay, it's not last minute. But it was in doubt to the last second, wasn't it? I mean, it only needed one more goal by Villa. Well, I, I made a point of just watching one screen. I could have double screened that. I'm going, whatever I'm watching, I'm going to watch it. And I made the mistake, and I don't think I was alone in switching over to Anfield because Liverpool had issues of their own to resolve when Aston Villa scored their second. And then, <laughs> I did. Oh, did you not? Okay. Well, I thought. Well, I need to. Let's just make sure Liverpool don't you really blow this in a horrible way and flicked over to Anfield. And suddenly, by the way, there was such a uh, frenetic energy to the game at Anfield. By comparison, it's always interesting when you instantly mm-hmm. compare games. There was a wildness about Anfield. The game was out of control in a way that the City game wasn't. And first City goal pops up on the screen, which obviously Jamie Carragher, you know, and, and the commentator were, were showing. And then second City goal. And I thought, oh, what do I do now? And <laughs> I think I flicked back just in time for the City third. But I missed those glorious few minutes where City did their thing. I mean, it, was, it really was mad. It was, it was, to be honest, you still get excitement wherever you were. But I, mean, I stayed with City, watched it through. And... You know, even when the second one went in, you're thinking, really? Can, is it, can it be that magical? But, you know, that kind of, you say there wasn't a madness. There certainly wasn't a madness, I would say, but they upped the tempo a bit and they, they changed it. And I suppose what everyone said, all the stuff that everyone's talked about, when they weren't bad substitutes, were they? You know, Zinchenko comes on, makes one. You know, Sterling comes on, he puts one across. Gundogan scores two goals. He's a sub. And it is about making the right decisions a lot of the time. And Pep's made plenty of bad ones in the big moments, hasn't he? Well, not, least bad is, not least his starting eleven. no? I mean, like, like on, 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 on two fronts, you have Fernandinho, who's always susceptible to be caught by what's likely to be Aston Villa's main tactic, a punt over the top for Watkins to change down. But then, chase down. But then, John Stones doesn't offer them anything in attack. And when you have Zinchenko sitting on the bench, I just thought, mm-hmm. like, I couldn't make sense of this decision at all I don't know were you mystified or is there is there something Pep seeing here that the rest of us aren't now to be fair they were still the better team by miles you know they still had lots of good possession getting good positions we weren't getting a lot of shots on target but they were still playing the Pep way uh, you know that way that you know Barcelona used to play whatever and the, the whole concept never ever changes keep on doing it and if you do it often enough it will happen and they, they don't adapt it. They don't think, oh, we'll just sling high balls into the box now. They just never, ever go for it. And there's, there's a big part of me that I really admires it. Now, sometimes it doesn't come off. And we all say, ah, you should have done this or done that. It's four championships out of five. It's not bad, let's be fair. <laughs> As the concept goes, stick by it, believe in it, do the right thing. But it's not the only way to do it. I mean, I, I so admire Liverpool's way of doing it as well, which is all the high energy stuff and massive press and playing at extraordinary pace. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a failure of a way to do it either. But the kind of beauty of, you can see it now because they won it and they got those three goals back, but they kind of stuck by it and kept on doing it. But when that second goal went in and you looked at Pep, he didn't believe then. There's no way he believed then. He absolutely thought it was gone. As did everyone in that stadium. Um, but the fact that they didn't panic then, they just you know, kept on going and kept on doing the things, you know, I, I admire them for doing that. The one thing got me about Pep, and everybody knows that, I, I don't think, I've, I've never cried after a game of football, after winning something or doing things. 
he was gone. He was absolutely and utterly gone. And I know a lot of people do, but anyone who has that extreme passion for it, when you've been in it this long and you've had that many brilliant ones, to still react that way and feel that way, it's just brilliant to see that passion, isn't it? I suspect Jürgen would have been the same. Yeah. Well, I think it points to a few things with Pep. Certainly the stress of it all, for sure. And I don't just mean the 90 minutes itself yesterday. I mean the loss to Madrid, the criticisms. He's acutely aware of everything which is said about him. That's fairly obvious as we've got to know him over the years. And then I think there was a degree of delayed shock almost hitting him because he stared over the precipice and he would have been criticised for the Stones decision and the Fernandinho decision and then just not for for not winning the league given all the resources and it was like avoiding a car crash and finishing mm-hmm. your journey and then suddenly this outpouring and and, and uh, yeah, it, it was an extraordinary moment but it did, did humanise him a touch because we can make the mistake of thinking it's all a bit easy for him Yeah and um, I think that's a brilliant analogy, by the way. I'm going to nick that. <laughs> a great analogy. Um, but yeah, it, it does show you that. And remember, Pep did take time off and he said his head was burst for a period of time. They went over and spent time in the USA. So he, he, he's one of these people, because he sets the standards of him, for himself and for his team that high, you know, how often do you really come away and you can be comfortable with that? Well, he gets it more often than most because of the standards they set. Um, but I mean it's all about the stresses of the moment you're absolutely right and, it's, and what Liverpool asked them to do you mean was it 99 goals this season in the league mm. without a centre forward I mean really that's a joke it's hilarious and it's brilliant <laughs> and then I was thinking about it today looking up how many teams have actually scored like 100 goals in a Premier League season it is very very few that have ever done it and we almost take it for granted now that these two teams get over 90 points every season or nearly every season and it's an extraordinary thing they were only they got 93 points right they were only 114 points to play for that's just mad that's just standards and again you got to say well I would say some wouldn't agree but I still think it's the hardest league to win in the world mm. yet they're doing it that way so it's, it's yes they've got more money than everyone else but they're doing it Beautifully, they're doing it stylishly, um, and they're very rarely tripping up in the league. And it's you got to applaud them for that. And it's it's great to see that. Um, and I think if Liverpool, if they do walk away with the Champions League, it's not a brilliant season for them as well. Anyway, I've got the audio here, so there's no great problem if you didn't stick around to see Jack Grealish interviewed by the panel. Did you catch that? I didn't catch it. No. This is so interesting. And you, style of player you were, you'll have interesting thoughts on this I suspect so Grealish came over to Dave Jones the Sky Sports presenter and there's Mika Richards there there's Jamie sorry Jamie Redknapp there there's Roy Keane there and then Gary Neville has joined them as well and uh, Grealish is incredibly engaging and likeable and open incredibly open like he's just he's throwing out these kind of truth bombs that you don't usually get like he was saying things like oh well you know around these parts everybody's you know desperate to win the Champions League but for you know that, that's the one they want but for me I wanted the Premier League you know and you kind of think well that's not let's not, not say that mess, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not say that too loud um, but so they did get on to the season that he's had and obviously very uh, aware of it hyper aware of it given the fact that he wasn't even brought on yesterday in their hour of need and uh, Grealish here talks about adapting or trying to adapt to the demands of Man City and Pep Guardiola so here he is asked about working under Guardiola in his first season at the club 
he's honestly he's a genius. Like uh, football wise, he's he's unbelievable. Um, honestly, I could, I'd love I say to people all the time, I'd love you to just come in and just watch like you know one of his team talks before the game, just to see like what he does for every player. Um, he's unbelievable, uh, and you know just working with him day to day on the training on the training pitch. Sometimes I think for myself this season, I, you know I don't get like nervous or anything with fans or stuff like that because I think people have seen what I can do. But he actually makes me nervous sometimes. I swear, and I feel like sometimes I've had to impress him too much. Yeah. Um, but you know now, like Mick said, you know I've got my first season out of the way, and uh, you know I've got the I've got the medal here. So hopefully, hopefully many more. What is the level of detail? Yeah, there's so much. It's, for me, I just I, at times, you know, I, like I, I watch all my games, you know, and I listen to to Gary and people. Yeah, he's been slagging you up all season, by the way. I've been saying he's the game at the back post. <laughs> oh, you want to be nice no, to you? You want to be nice to you? My dad says that to me every. My dad says that to me every <laughs> game. But you know, even times like where people have said, "Oh, I want Jack to attack more at Villa," and I feel like sometimes because Pep don't want you to lose the ball, I'm so in my head, I'm thinking I can't lose this ball. Do you know what I mean? Where I feel like, all right, I've got. To you think you play too safe at yeah, times? Yeah, at times. And then, for example, in the second half last week against West Ham, I felt like once I scored, I was like, yeah. come on, give me the ball. And I was running at people trying to create things. And you know, I even spoke to people after the game, like, like close to me, my dad and stuff. And I, I was like, I felt like myself. And, you know, like playing today. And hopefully, you know, I can, I can bring that obviously next season. I'm sure I will. Do you think about the numbers as well? Goals and assists. Is that Does that a driver? You've got to, ain't you? You've got to... Um, I think in this day and age, that's what people look at. Um, and, and for attacking players, that's what you want to do. It's like defenders, you know, it's all good playing well, but you also want clean sheets. Um, hopefully next season, you know, I can get more of them and I'm sure that'll be the case with uh, Pep and, and Southgate as well. They'll both be like looking at that. Really interesting, Pat. He pretty much described what we had been guessing at on various Mondays during the season. Yeah, um, I'm not... Overly surprised. I'm surprised at the the openness of. It. I thought it was a great interview. By the way, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And uh, you do hear players talking, but you rarely get that level of insight. I think it was brilliant insight, and it was it was Jack actually saying it. Um, the the thing I've said or felt above everything else is Pep always makes players better, and he'll actually make Grealish better. But Grealish has got a lot of things to learn within their setup. So when he learns all the things he has to do within their setup. Then he can add his own on top, which is there anyway. Um, and I'm not surprised; it's not hugely surprised it's taken a, it'll take a year um, because it took Sterling a while, and then he became a far better player. And it's decision making at the right times because Jack always can go by players, and he can, you know, he's not done it so much this year. And we all agree that he's looked tentative quite a lot of the time, um, and he's had that slight confusion that in his head should I do it should I not mm. do I lose the ball then I'll get hammered and yeah because it's classically if you're a creative player you are brilliant if that incredible thing you tried comes off but every time it doesn't come off you get slaughtered you know and you, you've got to learn when's the right time to do it and watch De Bruyne De Bruyne gets by enough people but does it at the right time doesn't he mm. always does it at the right time Less so Sterling, but much, much more than he used to in the past. And it's learning those times when there are opportunities and gaps and when it's worth taking that extreme chance to go into those areas. Um, his movement is, is, is has to be completely different this season than the previous seasons because it's a different game he's playing. He's playing against... And, and for anyone listening, if, if you're playing for Villa, you're, you're running into space. Just watch Villa playing against City. 
you're running into space. There's gaps in front of you. There's teams attacking you. Doesn't happen with uh, with City. You've got a gang of people there, and you need to do something extra special. Get beyond them. Get to the byline. Um, and they're they're doubling up on them. They're trebling up. So you need to manipulate the situation. So if you don't go to the guy and you play it across and then play it back in, then play it across, then it comes back to you the third or fourth time you've created the gap. It's infuriating watch sometimes, but you need to do that with City because that's the only way you're going to get the gap. I love the fact that he is not turning on Pep. He gets that Pep's a genius. That mm. he is, you know, he has taken all those original ideas that go all the way back to Michels and go all the way back to Cruyff and go all the way through the Barca, you know, set up and what they learned from each other and then what they grew from it. Um, and it's, for all the negatives, some people will say things about um, Pep and he does make mistakes because he's a human being. I'm not stand by and say anything other than he's my favourite coach in the world mm. by a distance. Mm. <laughs> so, and if I had a choice of coach to work under, it would be him by a distance. And that's taking nothing away from other great guys that are around just now. So, Everything has to be in context when you talk about Guardiola. But when you hear somebody like Grealish talking, who has to drop some of the awe eventually yeah. at some point, don't you? You've got to drop some of it, mate, because you've got to let yourself develop from it. I mean, De Bruyne will respect the manager, but he won't be awestruck by him. You know, no. and the same with Gundogan. They won't be awestruck. And it's when you get that level. And I think, I think Pep sometimes builds them to a stage where you have to be awestruck first and then I'll let you I'll let you develop a wee bit from there because if anyone shows lack of respect to him they're just dumb just completely dump him it was an incredibly disarming interview I think yeah. anyone who's been criticising Grealish would listen to that and just say oh okay that's yeah. totally fair enough and I do vividly remember watching the Champions League exit to Madrid when he came on and especially in extra time when he had the beating of Carvajal and he was fresh and they were working the ball out to him and he had a 1v1 and he checked yeah. back again and again and again and there was space in behind and I thought well what, like, what are you waiting for and, and obviously I would think he was thinking Oof, European stage Bernabeu definitely can't give the ball away here and uh, he's tied himself in knots um so and, I, and, is that, and is that partly Pep's fault? Well, I think I, I think to agree. I think the message should have been that night. Listen, get on there, and especially when it was one v one, like go at him. But um, you know, no, maybe maybe you can overdo the the correction which is going on in Grealish's overall game. But everything's long term with Guardiola. Everything yeah. is long term, and although you need a short term hit against Real Madrid, it would have been really helpful to get that, and it might have made all the difference. But everything's long term built with them. They will. You know, if, if you take every single bit of their game, when you first saw it, you went, oh no, you, are you really going to keep on passing out for the back? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> and they keep doing it and they mm. keep doing it. And now you think, well, of course, it's obvious. Then you watch him develop one or two players. I always go back to Sterling. He's the most obvious one for me. He just became a far better football with better vision. But he didn't have to go backwards. He had to learn the times to do it. And it sometimes was quite frustrating to watch it. And then it blossomed. And I, I have no idea. I have no... I don't think about it for a second. I'm so sure of it now. I was 90% sure before hearing Jack Grealish. I'm now 100% sure he's doing that with him. Hmm. And he will flourish. And he will get it. 
Well, then he's going to be pretty special because like when he arrived, he was pretty special, to be fair. Maybe Haaland takes some of the heat off him in some respects mm-hmm. as well and the pressure. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. I do want to talk to you uh, about Liverpool and then the relegation sides and uh, Ten Hag was speaking today and then there's the pitch invasion situation which is <laughs> gathering oh, momentum. I think that the circuit breaker of a summer might be good on that front. We'll take a short break and then back with Pat Nevin in one sec. I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they played over the last eight weeks since that kind of both Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. You're welcome, Matt. Joe Malloy with you this evening. Latest in the League of Ireland Premier Division. The headline news with six minutes to go now. It's Strata United 1, Shamrock Rovers 0. We have Shelburne 2-0 up against UCD. One all between Sligo and Derry City. St. Pat's are 3-0 up at home to Bohemians. And then Finn Harps are 1-0 down at home to Dundalk. Five minutes to go in all of those games except uh, the Finn Harps-Dundalk game. That one has about 20 minutes to go in it. All our football show coverage brought to you by Sky, all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Pat Nevin is with us, reflecting on the uh, finale to the Premier League season. Jurgen Klopp was uh, speaking post-game to Kelly Cates and Jamie Carragher on uh, Sky after Liverpool beat Wolves but didn't quite get over the line after City's come back and he was asked about the general mood in the Liverpool camp on foot of that disappointment. If you want to win big... You have to be ready to lose big, and that's what we did today. So you cannot. You have to be ready for tight decisions, and um, and they go sometimes more often than not against you. And um, you cannot do more than give your absolute best. And that's what the boys did again. I couldn't be more proud of this group. It's absolutely exceptional. Uh, with the amount of games we had to play, we chased the probably best team in the world. Um, really, to the wire. It's, it's absolutely special. But it's all about reacting. And of course, we cannot not react in the league tomorrow. But. Next year we can. A week today, regardless of what happens in Paris, there's going to be a parade through the city where you can celebrate the trophies. There's already trophies to be celebrated in in that parade. How important is it that you get that moment to celebrate with the fans, given that when you did win the title, there wasn't that, that opportunity? Oh, for me, it's incredibly important because today, when we come out here, this is obviously now not a lab of honor for us, that's <laughs> for the people. So, and the parade is for the people and not for us, and the people deserve it. So, not only have we had a pandemic in between and all these kind of things which made life really difficult, um, no, but we won two trophies already. If you win a third one, fine. If not, we won two trophies, and we didn't celebrate the championship. So, uh, that's for me already. And celebrating life after all the, the rubbish we went through during the pandemic is enough reason for me. I and mean, if people out there don't understand it I think I enjoy it even a little bit more to be honest so because it's just it's just for us and people outside don't understand how special this club is I can't help them so if you want to if you want to have a, re, a club with real passion where you can be really involved from, from the heart as well and not only from other things so then you have to be part of Liverpool uh, You've seen a lot of charismatic managers in your time where is he on the list? Oh he's fantastic absolutely fantastic by the way and if he wants to become a salesman, um, he can be brilliant at that as well because that was one of the best sales pitches you'll ever hear. Um, nah, he, he's, he's almost impossible to dislike. Um, I mean, if, you're, if you despise Liverpool, and some people do, um, you, you, you think he's a fake or whatever, but that's just been stupid. He's not. He is utterly and completely passionate about his team. He's developed a really brilliant team on there as well, but, you know, it's so infectious, isn't it? It's so incredibly infectious. And it's been lovely to watch him over the years. Can, right at the start, I'm thinking, 
I mean, how much of that is, you know, actually who you are, you know, because it was always ultra positive and he was always up there in a high and his heart was always in his sleeve and you're thinking how much, because great managers in the past have manipulated, you know, the press, the press conferences when they talk to the press. And then after a, a while, you just think, nah, that's him. That's who he is. And that's why the players love him, because he is that person. He is that guy who utterly believes in them, wants the best for them, cares deeply about his club and actually cares about the football they play as well. You can fake that sort of stuff for a wee while, but you can't fake it for a long term. Mm. So he's, he's right out there with it. And that's one of the great things about it. I mean, we'll talk about those two at the top just now. Oddly enough, um, <laughs> I think there's one or two others, you know, coming up in the rails, and that's brilliant news. But when you look at them two now, you just think, if you're a coach anywhere at all, where do you want to be working? You want to be working in the Premier League because you want to, you want to play against the best. And that's not just clubs or players, that's coaches as well. And he's a, they are the best as as well as personality, but also technically as well. Absolutely phenomenal what he's done. So I've, 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 I've no worries at all for a second of applauding him. I don't care if any Evertonians or Chelsea supporters have a dig at me for doing that. I don't care. I just think he's great. I flicked over to the post-match coverage at Anfield because obviously it's a more complex situation than the euphoria at the Etihad and it was like manager cam. This was maybe 15-20 minutes after full time and it was just Klopp walking around the pitch and obviously clapping the fans but in a very serene way sort of like a grin across his face at all times just going up to each player and more so their families and getting photos with the partners and the kids and having no real conversation with them. He's very familiar with them all already, it felt like. This wasn't the first meeting by any means and the kids were all delirious to see him get a photo, smile, move on to the next photo, smile, hugs and uh, rinse, wash, repeat. And uh, after he walked away, they were all kind of like, oh, we've got a photo with Jürgen. (laughs) There's this kind of uh, uh, rock star quality that he has and the teeth and you know he's, he's, he's so tall and just um, has an incredible presence about him and it was still a very jovial satisfied atmosphere at Anfield and it, a lot of it comes off of him yeah. it really it really does come off of him because if he was in a big bad mood because he didn't get a decision here or there and moaning about his lot and saying oh we should have got a penalty in some other game and we'd have got three more all that sort of stuff three more points that would have, you know, they've got the same reaction. Everyone would have went along behind it. But no, he's, he's, he's very good. And I was going to say in defeat. You can't really call it a defeat because it's not a defeat. They've done brilliantly to get this far. In history, this would almost always be enough points to win the league. So there's a realism there as well. And I, I'm delighted that he's actually got that. He's not got the, they haven't got the awe towards him that, the players, that some of the players have towards Pep. You know, I don't know if it's quite like that. There's just that little bit more matiness about it. And I, that's no bad thing. There's no right, there's no wrong. But there's more of a matiness. And it's a classic one. Who would you rather go out for a drink with? You know, between the two of them. Well, it's all, it all depends if you want a right good laugh and a bit of fun. Or else you want to spend four hours with salt, pepper and <laughs> defenders and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> depends what kind of person you are, you know. Um, but I, I, again, I'm... I just hope that it stays for a good few years having these two. And I do, as I say, you've got Conte, who's going to be... I mean, he's done a really decent job there. And if he adds defensively with Spurs, um, I suspect Chelsea are going to be much better next season as well. And Tuchel's... He's an interesting character as well. It's been a bit of time with him. And 
although it doesn't come across as personal personality wise as quite as lovable as um, Jurgen, he really is an incredibly likable guy. Yeah, no, so, very, very charismatic. I was reading a piece by Jonathan Wilson in the Guardian because I know obviously you, you from talking to you down the years, you're keen viewer of tactics and love the tactical side of the game as well as the expressive side. And he was, uh, I mean, I, I'm brutally shortening down his article here, so uh, be fair to him. But he was talking about, you know, the influence of Klopp and Guardiola. And we see, um, you know, like a hybrid basically across Europe now. So high defense, high offside line, coordinated press, uh, capacity to retain possession is, is very much in vogue. And it says the age of attrition of Greece winning the Euros, Jose Mourinho, Rafa Benitez, etc. feels a long time ago. And then he concluded, actually, by just observing maybe the slight differences in both Klopp and Pep and the changes they brought out in each other. So he was saying, as Guardiola's Champions League hopes have regularly been undone by opponents playing on the break, Pep has had to adjust to counter the counter. In part, there seems a clear intention to retain five outfield players behind the ball at all times. There's also more of a gegenpress, press, which in turn has increased City's threat in the counter. Klopp, meanwhile, seeing the accumulated fatigue, physical and mental, of constant heavy metal football, has taken steps to control games more, which was one of the drivers behind the signing of Thiago, perhaps the most characteristic Guardiola player there is. So he said, to sum up, Guardiola implemented a style of play initially that capitalised on uh, change conditions across the game, and you know, uh, which he had outlined earlier in the piece. He said then Klopp found a way of countering it and now Guardiola has reacted and what has followed is a synthesis of gegenpressing and the more possession-based Guardiola styles. So I, I suppose in essence they've, they've done a bit of a dance with each other and found... Uh, a style which which suits them and and it was a very interesting summation of their rivalry and how they have prompted changes in each other I think think it's a really good summation of where the tactics have gone between the two of them and they've not been massive changes you can see where they all initially came from you know in the history of the game you know they they did generally come from what Barca was doing and before that then you know what was coming after that then some stuff that was done at Bayern Munich this kind of high press stuff that was done in Germany and then Football does move on, and a lot of people, when you watch, how do I put this the right way? When you watch City at their worst, i.e., when they're a bit boringly good, yeah. you know, and it's just pass, pass, pass. I think everyone knows what I mean by that. It's it's wonderful, but it can be a bit boringly good sometimes, and it can kind of wear you down, and the fans don't get too excited about it. There's always going to be a reaction to that, and I I agree completely. Klopp found the reaction to it. But also, he did not have the squad to keep on doing that all the time. I think he's. I think Klopp's already on the next level now. I think he's moved again. Have a look at who he's buying. Have a look at the types of players he's buying. You know, he's he's got a new winger who's an addition, a fantastic winger. Jota. They've just gotten bought live from Fulham. Is it today they're, they're talking about getting mm. him today? So. He's not sitting about thinking, hey, this is okay. He's thinking, no, I need to keep on doing this. And by the way, I need to really rotate them because I think I might have to bring in that, that heavy press again because that might be the only thing that does it if it, you know, if, if Pep moves on again. So that I think he's moving again. I think he's moving back to something that he had to stand off. So I don't think when um, Jurgen Klopp stopped doing that high press and understood it was burning players out. I don't think he thought it was then a bad idea. He just thought, I can't do it as much for these people, but I can do it again. Right. Or else, and this is when the absolute perfection comes, they decide what parts of what games they can do it in. 
and the players become knowledgeable enough exactly when to do it and they have enough wisdom and game management on the pitch to be able to do that that's the easiest thing to say uh, it's unbelievably hard because it's almost like trying to get some office group to, to act as one but we've seen it before mm. we saw it in Barcelona you know so it can be done amazingly interesting pitch invasions um, you know, funny enough I've, I've talked to quite a few people about this and you get a, a, you get the fans think yeah yeah but what about the excitement what about the moment oh, etc etc and some of the press guys are a little bit miffed about it and a wee bit annoyed all the players are bloody furious unbelievably off the scale furious and I say we are furious about it because if you go back into the history why did we have the wire meshing up there because people couldn't stay off the idiots couldn't stay off the pitch and it's dangerous what did the wire meshing and what did it lead to it led to Hillsborough so you take it down and you trust people to do the right thing and they're running on the pitch again hitting people you just think okay it's a generation ago and there's a memory for some of them that doesn't mean as much and culturally I think you have to add on if I'm being honest with you what Covid did and people were pent up fine but stop it now that's it it's just gone far too far I was um, when I was at Eintracht Frankfurt versus West Ham a couple of weeks ago and I watched everybody open the gates just open all the gates and thousands came on right and some of these are ultras and they weren't going to be held back and nobody was making an attempt to hold them back and it was organised that all the gates were happily open for them while the West Ham players were still on and nobody else seemed angry and I'm, my head's exploding with it because it only takes one to do what you know they can do hmm. and yes then someone does it to Billy Sharp and he's headbutted and do you think that's going to be the last thing? No chance because you've got nutters on here you add on top of that A the drinking but B you have to be honest about the drug taking at the moment the drug taking is getting much much bigger within the football fan base how are you going to get these people controlling themselves so we've got a situation now that I can only see one answer to it now you need to reintroduce large scale policing if they're not going to stay off because you can't put the, the big barriers up again it would be too dangerous because if they all crowd to the front you've got a crush again right? so you can't do that right? you ask people not to come on they're not listening so you can't do that what are we left with? You're left with huge numbers of police. And don't say stewarding, because they ain't going to do it. Do you think a steward that's getting paid 10 quid for two hours work is going to go and put his life in his hands? Yeah. They ain't going to do it. And so they're not, you're going to have to get policing. And we worked for decades to get rid of that in the game. And in a short period of time, it's all come back again. So trust me, the players will shout and bother about it. And the other thing about it, and I, again, there'll be a backlash there always is you know when Vieira lashes out yeah I mean an absolute promise even myself not the biggest the strongest guy in the world see someone come near me in the pitch after that I'd thump them I'd I'd break a leg or something I'd do something to them you're not getting me you're not going to attack me if they were coming to attack me I would not hold back and because you're in our space you shouldn't be there this is completely wrong it's a horribly violent thing to say but you never know that person could be carrying a knife you've no idea so this needs to stop it needs to be stopped right away it's slid a little bit you've probably noticed massive amounts of flares and all that stuff in the stadiums now mm. there's danger involved there as well and that's now just being blanked and ignored there's a line has got to be drawn and it's got to be drawn really soon we need a reset at the start of the season yes well that might be the best thing that the summer is here and they can reset it I'm not sure they have the resources to drag that many police to games 
So, mm-hmm. so I, I mean, you, 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 I mean, how many did you get? I was at the Scottish Cup final, and there was every opportunity with you know you thought with the Rangers fans in the past it's happened before, and the police presence at the end of that game was gigantic, mm. absolutely huge at the end of the game. Now the problem with that is you're taking police from other areas where they should be doing what we know. Certainly in the UK, the the police will always tell you they're they've not got the ranks and not got the numbers they've had in the past. So there's if you go and put them all there, and by the way, in England the clubs can afford that. Trust me, I've had to I've had to employ police before. I've had to say I'm having arguments with police. We only need twenty of you this week, or we need forty. If they say they don't, they they listen and nod away politely, and then they say no, you're getting 150 and you're paying for it. And by the way, it's going to cost you double. You don't you don't get a say in that. You do not get a say in that. Now the big clubs can cope with that. But see if that starts happening everywhere, going down the leagues or in Scotland or wherever. It's, it's crippling. I promise you it's crippling for some of the clubs. So they might think they're just being great fans. And I think some of them, A, you're crippling your clubs, but you're destroying what the game's tried try to work for for years. So it, it, it gets me and just about any other player unbelievably angry. And usually players, when we talk about things that involve fans, it's... You often hear a wee bit, oh, you know, it's just the lads, it's a bit of fun and stick by the fan base. You're not finding that many doing that because we know how dangerous it is and we know the history. Mm. Uh, Burnley are in an interesting spot. Caretaker manager, relegated. Nine players out of contract I was reading today. The academy at risk of being downgraded. And I suppose most worryingly of all, ALK Capital leveraged buyout and they've promised uh, prompt repayment it seems of a 65 million pound loan which will basically obliterate the parachute payments and they have to overhaul this aging squad i dare say we may not see them back anytime soon and the other thing i would add on top of that they had a house style and a the house style doesn't work anymore because the game's moved on massively. I'm not saying it's the wrong way to play football, but it's never going to get you massive success. And eventually it's going to lead them to where they are just now. You go along and try and find those types of players with quality on top of the physique um, and willing to do that, you're going to find it hard to get them to get them good enough to get back up again. That's going to be difficult. And also under a manager who may not want to work that way. Because Sean Dyche was very much Sean Dyche's man. And there's not that many of them around that A can do that and build that sort of grouping, but also can do it very well. Because it's, although it's simpler than other forms of playing football, it's not totally simple because you need to get the right people. Um, and it's, it's it's quite frightening for Burnley. I've got um, a close family friend who's a fanatical Burnley fan. And uh, I said, I, I don't know if the Premier League's going to miss them as much now. They love yeah. the fans, but, you know, the style. You know the way they were playing. It was it wasn't grand to watch a lot of the time. No. Certainly, past at the end of the season, it was awful to watch. So, you know, it's it's been great. It's been lovely. They've absolutely punched above the weight for a long time. But you look at a lot of clubs around about even that part of the world and how they've. And by the way, I'm not talking Man United here. Um, <laughs> that part of the world, who when they've sunk, they can sink a long way. Wiggins and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a big concern. Eric Ten Hag flew in to watch Manchester United's final game of the season. It was a, a fitting finale, a loss, real low, and no surprise amongst the footballing world, and, and not even much comment after it, to be honest. He gave his first press conference today. So uh, a sense of it, here's a short sense, for instance. He was asked about Ronaldo, and is Ronaldo very much part of your plans going forward? 
what, what do you feel that you can bring going into next season? Ronaldo? Yeah. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> But you're looking for more leadership from as well to sort of lead this project forward for these days. I talk first with Ronaldo before I talk with you. <laughs> Sorry, he was saying Ronaldo very much uh, part of his plans. Didn't give too much away. That was kind of the a little. That was a little snippet of the back and forth that it that it was uh, from Ten Hag. So he's arrived. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what to expect from this situation anymore. Good luck. Right. Positives? Okay. He's got a partial clean slate. Partial clean slate. Um, He can make some big decisions because I think everyone realises there's hardly a player in there that if he says, I want him out, anyone will argue too much about. There's not that many. So he can really try and clean it out as quickly as he can. That's easier said than done, obviously, when you've got players that are still contracted. Uh, He must have some ideas of his own, but you need to get there before... Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, Newcastle United, they're all be look, looking for the same quality of players. Manchester United is still Manchester United, but the last few years have really tarnished. If you're a player and you think, OK, I've only got four or five years at the very, very top, and I've got a choice between the other teams mentioned above and Manchester United, you just don't know what you're going to get this time. You just don't know what you're going to get. It may be great, but you're guessing. And that's nothing against Man United. That's just where they are at this moment in time. I I think it's an incredibly hard job. The the Ronaldo one's not one that I don't think he could answer that question any other way. I'll stick by what I said at the start of the season. Abuse me if you like. I don't think you win anything with Ronaldo up top on his own, being the the front man the whole time. Mm. Yes, he's he's up there, top goal scorer. That's absolutely fine. It's not about that. It's about everything. Um, so he can score goals, but he might have to score goals from some other position. And I also think that he scores goals argument is nonsense. He has scored 18 goals. The question shouldn't be how many goals has Ronaldo scored. It's how many goals above and beyond what a Manchester United number nine playing the vast majority of games is going to score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's... I agree. You know? I agree. Like, yeah, you, you, you'd expect any... Like, how many would Harry Kane have scored in that team? For instance, you know, like so the eight, the, the eighteen is not so mind blowing. It's no, it's not mind. It's only mind blowing compared to everyone else. But you yeah. know, it's hard. It's a hard league to score. And I mean, again, mentioned Chelsea. They have not got anybody that scored eighteen goals like. So it's a hard league to score yeah. goals. And even if you're playing with a decent side, it's not the goals. It's it's the modern game. Yeah. And if you're playing, and if you're playing at tempo, if you don't play with everyone playing ability to play at that tempo, you better have a brilliant plan B. And the brilliant plan B would be is usually a, a breaking team. And for a period of time, you know, about a year ago, they were not a bad breaking team. But they're not really that anymore. And for all the fact that Ronaldo's fantastic, I still think impact player would be phenomenal for him for Manchester United last next season. But if you're relying on him to be the number one up front um, and also maybe the bottom lip coming out when he gets subbed or mm-hmm. isn't starting, um, that's just not that's not going to work no uh, listen thanks so much that flew by absolute pleasure and good to speak to you I'm, I'm sure we'll speak again there's other things well, going on it's a small matter of a Champions League final I think we might uh, cover next Monday perhaps so, so I'm looking forward I'm over and I'm just to show anyone who's listening I'm coming over to Carla uh, I used to have my holidays in Wicklow and Arklow when I was young, a youngster but I'm going to a book festival in Carlo, and it's the day 
of the Scotland Ireland game. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> a big festival, and then zoom up the road to get to Dublin in time for that game. So oh, well, let's catch good. up. Let's catch up. Let's catch up for sure. That's great. I didn't know you were coming over. Okay, super. All right. uh, anyway, see you soon. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Pat Nevin with us uh, as usual on a Monday. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky, all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. 